seconds of that sexy room tone. Does it help or hurt the room tone if <laughs> I'm if I like do like a little like <laughs> That's one of the worst things I've ever heard. And with that you are listening to the Kicking and Screaming Podcast. Uh, I'm Vanessa Gritton, and that slurping noise is your co-host. I'm Elijah Taylor. And that is one of the worst, like, little tiny slurps I've ever heard. Wait, are you keeping the slurp in? I'm keeping oh, the Oh, no, you addressed it, so now in. we're using the slurp? I addressed it, uh, and now you made your bed, babe. You made your bed. Can we put, like, a content warning on this? Content warning. For slurping? <laughs> Aisha makes a little tiny slurping sound when I'm trying to get room tone. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. I didn't think that was going to make it to the to the final edit. Yeah, this is the director's cut, baby, and I want uh, you to have the little slurps. <laughs> if you came I'm Elijah from- Lil Slurps Taylor. <laughs> You're listening to Kicking and Screaming. Imagine coming here from episode one and being like, these are two... Uh, these are two people that know what they're talking about. They like talking about movies. They're I don't think serious. anyone took that away from no, episode they one. They didn't get that from episode one because episode one almost immediately had that stupid Bane impression. Yeah. And I'm not calling yours stupid. I'm calling mine stupid because I sounded like a stupid clown. They were they were, they were, were both stupid. The entire bit was stupid, but in, you know, in a way that I enjoy. Yeah. And hopefully our listeners do as well. Yeah, because this podcast is more than just... Two stupid babies talking about movies. We're specifically talking about horror and kung fu or martial arts movies because it's the title, Kicking and Screaming. It is. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in real quick to say yeah. that is a an important distinction that we had not made previously. Yeah, uh, we we, totally we said we said kung fu, and I think I have this tendency to uh, to just kind of blanket statement call all martial arts films yeah. kung fu movies. Uh, but I I think we do need to start clarifying that it's martial arts films because yeah. uh sometimes i might want some some judo yeah. or some karate some, uh, uh some muay thai some, some hitting a guy with a hammer hitting a guy with a hammer some penchak silat uh is that what that is n- no but uh penchak silat is an indonesian martial art and it's what they do in uh the raid and the you raid too so yeah a hammer, a hammer girl and baseball bat that's boy. why i'm yeah. marrying you oh that mm. changed from the last podcast we got engaged oh yeah we we did a podcast together and then we fell in love and we got engaged. That's how that went. Between <laughs> episode one timeline. and two, we got engaged. So uh, what up? We got engaged, and uh, it's it's mostly because Elijah knows when I'm talking about the raid two when I'm not currently like saying the words the raid two. Oh. I love we, you. I love you too. We got engaged <laughs> and we're uh, celebrating by watching a horror movie and a martial arts movie. Yeah, King yeah. and Screaming podcast. Yeah. Because basically what we want to do is bring the feeling of the double feature home to you. Um, Because I miss it deeply. And I've also realized how much of my life is just spent uh, watching Chopped and flipping off professional chefs. (laughs) Or uh, Are are you saying this is is what you have in lieu of the... the double feature at a movie theater? (laughs) You can't, like, go to movies right now, so... Flipping off chefs on Chopped is all you have. It's all I have. Like, for everything. Okay. My social engagements, there was, there my was hobbies. nothing between those two points. No. It wasn't like I can't go to theater, so I'll watch movies at home. It was straight to flipping off chefs on Chopped. Did you see how much Chopped I watched? No, God. Babe, Babe how much Chopped have you watched? have been quarantined with me since March. 
I watched every episode of Chopped. Oh, Do you so many know episodes. what kind of depression that is? Oh, no. I watched every episode of Chopped. Cobra Kai is the only thing that saved me. Cobra Kai is great. Cobra Kai brought me back to life and reminded me that there are other pieces of media than watching Chopped Jr. and being like, wow, that kid's being a real bitch to her sister. Kicking and Screaming is now a Cobra Kai podcast. This is a Cobra Kai podcast. We're going to try really hard not to exclusively talk about Cobra Kai and how we have both fallen in love with Johnny and his sparkling blue eyes. Yeah. He gets hotter every episode. He gets hotter every fucking episode. I don't get it. I, I don't know what's going on, but he's got some kind of... Je ne sais Kai? Ah, that was good. I like that. Yeah, I was going to say something about how that Dodge Challenger makes the undercarriage misty. (laughs) I was trying to say flood the basement, but it's 2 (laughs) a.m. Makes the undercarriage misty. I didn't have a way to... uh, Put into audio the face that I made. He made a face. That's why I went quiet because we both looked at me and realized that my brain was making the window shutdown noise. <laughs> made the undercarriage misty. Have you ever used that? Is that have you ever literally tried to, never like, in my entire pick life? Pick someone up with like my undercarriage is mighty misty. <laughs> I don't even know how you deliver that in a in any tone except like foghorn leghorn almost. <laughs> Well, I say, your smoldering gaze making my undercarriage misty. <laughs> Gross, right? Yeah, it's unpleasant. You're fucking marrying me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I just saw the second thoughts in your eyes, too. <laughs> but uh, you know what we're not having second thoughts about? Talking about a martial arts film <laughs> and a horror film? Ah. Ah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, if we could, we would just keep talking about Cobra Kai, because uh, I'm pretty sure Elijah is now officially Cobra Kai Never Dies. Yeah, no, I'm starting my own, like, basement karate dojo on the side. Yeah. I've been inspired. I bought a headband, you know? He keeps uh, running around and trying to teach me life lessons. Oh, no, that's the other guys. Yeah. That's Miyagi-Do. No, you still, they're all learning lessons through karate. Yeah. Everyone, everyone who ever does karate learns lessons. That's what karate's all about. I learned that I talk too much. <laughs> so for those You learned that from karate? Yeah, remember I told you, you about how... The kids just kept chopping you? <laughs> they were just karate chopping the shit out of you? Well, I mean, that also happened, but I told you about how when I took karate as a child, I got kicked out for talking too much. It's amazing. <laughs> Of course I'm here. Of course I'm here. I got kicked out of a martial arts class. A man told my mother, I don't want you to give me money anymore because this kid won't shut the fuck Not up. Not worth it. And you went straight into podcasting. You and talked went, too much for karate, so podcasting was the alternative. Yeah. It was either this or be a karate badass, which I feel like you still would have fallen for me uh, anyways because I think you like anyone that can punch and kick. Yeah, pretty much. Not all of them, but most of them. Most of them. But last week, I picked the uh, first movie that we had to pair because the whole deal is one of us picks a movie and then the other one has to try and find the perfect pairing for it, whether it be horror or martial arts. And last week, I picked the horror movie, The Guest. You gave us Return to the 36th Chamber for our imposter series. This week, 
you picked the movie, and I had to find a pairing, and it was stressful. I know, it's so much pressure, right? I'm so sorry I put that on you, and I can't believe we're doing this to each other every week. I know, it's a, it's a curse. I, I feel like you immediately went through what I did with the first week, which was just uh, second-guessing every mm-hmm. decision over and over and being like, yeah, I think this is a good fit. And then five minutes go by and you're like, oh, God, but it's not the best. It's not the best one. Honest to God, I was going through that. I think I went through, like, seven different movies and you kept watching me choose and then you would just wiggle your eyebrows at me and I was just like, none of these are negative or positive. This is just like, like you said, it's the, is that your final answer? And I was just like, shut up! I didn't want to influence your decision. I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Or like, mm, I don't know. Because that's that's part of the fun, right? The choice has to be yours, and then you have to justify it to me. Yeah, it's part of the fun, being poisoned by doubt. Yeah. Anyways. That's the fun of all podcasts. Elijah, what did you pick for the first movie of our feature presentation? I hope I remember to put the sound in again. Otherwise, that's just uncomfortable silence. Uh, so for our first film, I'm going to say it again, though, because I want to play the sound again. Uh, for the first film in our feature presentation. I chose Master of the Flying Guillotine. Yeah, one I had never seen before. Woo! And uh, as soon as I started watching it, um, I immediately was like, God damn it, Elijah gave me another sequel to a movie I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually realizing uh, the number between like these two episodes and upcoming things that we have scheduled, uh, how many second films in franchises we're choosing. <laughs> we're like doing almost no first films, which... It's hilarious to me. Second pancake only, bitch. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a sequel series. Uh, no, but I yeah, I picked Master of the Flying Guillotine, which I can gush about for ever. Uh, but I I kind of want to because we haven't really like talked about it because we mm-hmm. wanted to you know save it for this. I want to hear uh, what you thought of the movie. Like what it was your first time viewing it. I don't know if you had uh, known anything about it or heard anything about it besides me occasionally being like that movie's tight yeah i um i can honestly say i think i have you know I, i've I'm a, I'm a big jackie chan bitch but i think this might be the first shaw thing that i like sat down and watched by myself it's, it's actually not shaw i'm sorry what is it uh it's just a just an independent production all right as... this might be the only um like martial arts thing that isn't recent that I, like, sat and watched by myself. Like, I'm talking probably also Western made. Because, I mean, not we're not counting, like, Police Story. Okay, this is probably the, like, first deep-cut martial arts thing that I sat and watched on my own. And it's probably not that even deep-cut. I'm learning about the genre. This is a very new genre for me. Yeah. Um, but I loved it so much. Yeah. I... Like, you've made a few recommendations to me, and we've, like, watched stuff together, and you'll, like, walk me through it. And I like them all. Like, I really like 36 Chamber. Um, But Master of the Flying Guillotine is so my shit. Like, it's so many different elements of my shit. It kept kept changing 
in terms of like what it was in that moment to like another element of something that I liked. Cause when it started out as a revenge thing, we like mentioned, um, trying to get revenge against the one armed boxer. And I was like, God damn it. It's a sequel. <laughs> I looked <laughs> it like, up and I was like, fucking Elijah gave me another it's, sequel. It's such a like loosely connected thing though. You know, know, it's, it's one of those, uh, like this, this era of filmmaking and especially like martial arts films and like, uh, like wuxia films or like kung fu movies, any like a, a lot of like Hong Kong and Shaw productions around that time. Uh, there there was very much this style. Uh, even like uh, Chambara stuff, like Zadoichi is a really good uh, example of it. Um, but they would you know kind of make a character, the one armed boxer, the one armed swordsman, the blind swordsman, you know. And there would be ten movies in the franchise, but you don't really need to see any of the like. Uh, it's very James Bond, yeah. you know, where like every James Bond movie, I guess, like is maybe a sequel to the previous one because it's the same guy and he's older now or it's later. It's, you know, years have passed, but uh, nobody's, you know, referencing like the thing that happened in the previous James Bond movie. You know, he's just a, he's a cool he's adventure guy James who Bond. just, yeah, he just keeps uh, bonding around. And the one-armed boxer, I think is, you know, very similar in that way in that like, Yes, it's a sequel, but you don't really need to know what he was getting up to before that. And he's yeah. he's got one arm. He's fighting people. Uh, immediately, I was like, "This soundtrack absolutely slaps." Um, you said you saw the band live. I didn't know. So yeah, they uh, the soundtrack. They actually uh, stole some of those songs. Uh, they didn't <laughs> officially license them. It was uh, you know a, a small uh, production that I think. I, I should have looked it up. I think it was shot in Taiwan. Uh, maybe it was like a Southeast Asian though. Um, and they, yeah, it was very like kind of low budget production that, uh, as I understand, a lot of it was like, uh, well, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they didn't necessarily always have like the correct permissions to be shooting. Things. Gorilla. Gorilla. There you go. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the soundtrack, um, I, I forget who it was uh, involved in the production, but I remember seeing a Q&A and uh, the actor, Jimmy Wang Yu, who uh, plays the one-armed boxer, uh, kind of talked about that, how they didn't get the permission. But like, I, I think it might have been his his call, potentially, uh, but like, just really pushed for that and was basically mm -hmm. like, I don't want to sound like the other kind of like operatic, like... Uh, it's not as orchestral. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was very, like, I don't want it to sound like uh, like the traditional, like, Chinese music that uh, you hear, like, you know, these uh, same kinds of, like, string instruments and, like, wind instruments and stuff that you hear in a lot of these uh, martial arts movies and, like, the sort of contemporary films that were being made at the time, uh, or their contemporaries, rather. Uh, and, you know, he, he was like, no, I, like, I want something different. And so... Yeah, they got this uh this kraut rock band uh new or new I don't know uh I feel like you you should you put a little new into it uh but <laughs> I don't know, new <laughs> a little new I was like am I just gonna leave that or am I gonna roast them <laughs> uh, No, you gotta roast me on that and especially as soon as I said it I realized that if you're not like looking at me when I say it like just the audio isolated is so much more of a wiener than I meant for it to be. Because I think, like, if you can see me, you can see that I'm making a face that lets you know that I know that I sound like a wiener. You know, that's like... Mm. But when it's just the sound, you can't you can't see what I'm doing with my face. So there's uh, this band called Mew. There's a band called Mew. Uh, that, yeah, is this, like, sort of, uh, yeah, like, electronic, like, kraut rock band uh, that just is 
fucking weird and rocks. And, uh, yeah, they just, like, discovered some of their songs and, you know, threw it on the soundtrack. Uh, and as far as I know, never, you know, got in any kind of, like, legal yeah. trouble for it. Uh, if the band ever knew about it, they were cool about it. If they ever knew about it. If they ever knew about it. <laughs> uh, but, no, I was, uh, like some some years back was uh staying with a friend in uh in london and uh he was like in uh like kind of underground like indie punk band over there and was just mm-hmm. very like tapped into that scene which was really cool because it was like a you know he ended up like taking me to a bunch of like kind of divey punk venues that i like definitely would not have seen as a tourist if i didn't like have a friend who was like yeah. in that local scene uh so it was a very fun trip but uh he was like, yeah, yeah, there's, like, a, you know, some, like, kind of electronic band playing tonight. Uh, you know, we're, we're all going to, like, hang at the club. And I went with him, and they, like, introduce it, and it's all these, like, very old dudes coming out on stage that, you know, is, like, I guess, you know, primarily, like, the original lineup, but it's these dudes who all look, like, 100 years old yeah. coming out. And they introduce them as, like, the, the Krautrock, like, uh, you know, legend, new and I lost my fucking mind. And I was like, the dudes who did the theme song from Master of the Flying Guillotine. And I was like, like sobbing. I was so excited. And my friend who, you know, was like taking us to the club was like, oh, you know this band? Oh, yeah, I don't know who they are. I guess they're just, you know, they're You're just down. turning inside out. Yeah. And I was just screaming. But you do have this magnificent ability to find anyone in any city that will immediately take you to like the coolest area. <laughs> uh,. Cause, uh, cause, cause, yeah, you're that for me sometimes. Um, although I did take you to go see a punk rock vampire band before you everything did? shut yeah, down. Yeah, no, I, I feel like you're that person in L.A. Like I came to L.A. <laughs> and then I found you. <laughs> so, like, so this theory holds. I hey, came to this to city and found you. Dracula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shout out to Drac and the Swamp Rats. Shout out to Ra- Drac and the Swamp Rats. I love you. Um, I love you too. <laughs> no, that music really like changed a lot of the energy in it for me to where it made like the titular master of the flying guillotine character so much more menacing um as you'll see there's a reoccurring theme when it goes on it almost kind of felt like the jaws theme where when you start to hear the music you're you realize something's about to happen someone's in danger the stakes are higher and so there's this like very um it was a very specific sound, like, all throughout the movie, but there was one song in particular that was, like, assigned to the Master of the Flying Guillotine whenever he was about to start massacring people, which I really loved. I haven't seen anything like that in a kung fu movie. Usually it was the baddie comes in and then they face off, but it made him seem so much more like a hunter than a fighter. Um, and uh, the characters that were introduced very much... It tapped into this thing that I really liked when I was a kid about like watching Dragon Ball Z or the kind of animes that would have like a world tournament. Um, because as this uh, master of the flying guillotine is hunting down the one-armed man, there is a tournament that different fighters are entering into. And several characters that it makes sense that Elijah loves, like a Thai boxer. Because uh, yeah. Elijah was a boxer in Thailand. Um, That's true. Have we mentioned that on this podcast? Have we mentioned that you were feel a professional like... boxer in Thailand at one point? Yeah, I feel like that's kidding? like one of my credentials in terms of like talking about martial arts films on a podcast is that you're not was... some wiener that doesn't <laughs> i mean i am a wiener i'm definitely some wiener you're, but you're part wiener uh <laughs> sorry part wiener got me real bad uh no i i don't know if we've mentioned that like i feel like we had to have but uh 
yeah, was also a professional kickboxer for uh, a while. That was my full-time job. Yeah. Uh, I, I have, I, I think, eight wins and four losses was my professional record. How do you been? Thanks. It's not a great record, but, you know. It's better than what happens to the Thai boxer in this movie. Oh. <laughs> That's just a bummer. Um, but, yeah, they're introducing, like, these different characters that have these really funny showdowns that don't even really need to last that long and in the choreography gives you so much about each character um so it very much feels like that anime here's a tournament battle royale fight to the death kind of thing that i adore i'm an i'm a fervent believer uh in the philosophy that every film should have a martial arts tournament like regardless of the subject matter mm-hmm. of the film there's not a movie that wouldn't be improved by the addition of a fighting tournament bloodsport could have used another kumite yeah absolutely they should have had either a pre or post kumite kumite <laughs> kumitu <laughs> kumitu i haven't like slept much so i'm gonna be like this kind of stupid all right bring that energy <laughs> I feel like we're going to listen to this tomorrow and realize that it is unsalvageable, <laughs> that it is just the ramblings of two sleep-deprived maniacs. Like when I like take a bunch of Adderall and I'm like, I just wrote an excellent screenplay, and then I read it, and it's just a cry for help. Yeah. <laughs> Which has happened before. Uh, oh, that's rough. But, you know, that's a, that was then, and this is a time in which I can't get prescriptions refilled anyways. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I feel like when I was uh, writing for uh, for Bunny Ears, I it was like a real rough time in my life. I think I was just like in a really severe, uh, prolonged, like depressive episode, mm-hmm. and it's just like very like hardcore clinical depression. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And kept writing comedy articles that I had either pitched or were assigned to me, and I'd like sit down and like you know, spend a day writing and, like, rewrite it. And then I'd, like, read it and be like, oh, fuck, there's no jokes. This is a suicide note. <laughs> I, I would just go back and be like, oh, this was this was not a comedy article at all. It's extremely depressing. I would always have to, like, send it to a friend before I send it to an editor and yeah. be like, hey, are there jokes in this? I'm, I honestly can't tell anymore. And sometimes they're like, no, no, it's funny. And sometimes they were like, oh, buddy, oh, no. It's the oh, buddy, where you're just kind of like, oh, someone's about to call someone. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I uh, definitely have experienced some of the similar. I know my last Bunny Ears article that I wrote uh, was a lot of just straight-up anger. Um, but I'm in a healthier place, sitting on my bed at 2 in the morning, talking to my fiancé about a movie I really liked, where a guy has a long rope that cuts people's heads off. Yeah, I guess we didn't even really like talk about the the basic uh, premise of the movie. So for anyone uh, who who didn't watch the film, uh, which is okay, I had a pretty uh, hardline stance <laughs> on that in the first episode. And uh, sorry, bless you. Thank you. Uh, I had a pretty hardline stance on that in the first episode. That if you're listening, uh, then you should watch both of the films. I understand it's a lot to ask people to watch two movies every week just to listen to a podcast because. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the podcast is an hour and two movies, we're asking for... We're asking for half of We're asking day. for four hours a week of your time. So Elijah has gracefully understood my position. I have I have reneged. I have uh, recanted. 
Uh, also, somebody called me out on Twitter, and they were right to do so. I <laughs> uh, wish that I remembered the Twitter handle, but shout out to the person who called me out. You know who you are. You know who you are. You know how you told Elijah that you just read the Wikipedias, and it was perfectly fine. Yeah. But You're a real one. Definitely watch them if you get a chance, because this movie uh, exceeded, great expe- movies. It exceeded my expectations. Yeah. Okay, but so The Master of the Flying Guillotine, if you haven't watched it, it is a sequel. You don't need to have seen the, the previous film, which is actually... Uh, part of why uh the the title was changed to the master of the flying guillotine because uh, i believe the original title is the return of the one-armed boxer mm-hmm. which does imply more of a direct sequel and you know it's one of those where when you're releasing it to a wide audience that you know probably hasn't seen the first film calling it master of the flying guillotine more uh, appealing more appealing uh, it's also a very cool sensational title you're like what the fuck is a flying guillotine i gotta find out um, it's like a bee bonnet with knives in it. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little helmet full of knives at the end of a long chain. It's an incredible, uh, iconic film weapon. Uh, this this blind master who is like a seven foot tall, just force of fucking nature, uh, whips it around uh, expertly. And it makes this incredible, like, Old West gunshot sound whenever he throws it. It's this very, like, to imply that it's moving as fast as a bullet. And he's very calm when he does it all. Yeah, it's very effortless, but he just fucking whips it out. It drops a little basket on your head that's full of blades. He pulls it back, and it just yanks your head, like, clean off your body. It's very easy just popping heads off left and right. He doesn't give a fuck about your head. The weapon itself is such a clear inspiration for <laughs> Gogo's weapon in Kill Bill. You're giggling. I'm sorry. I made myself laugh by saying he doesn't give a fuck about your head. And I thought it was weird that we just like glossed <laughs> right over that. I just let it go yeah. past it. I, was, I think I so expected you to laugh that when you didn't, it made it way funnier to me. <laughs> I was just like, I'm hilarious. Um, Anyways, yes, very clear inspiration. He doesn't give a fuck about your head. See, when I said it, it made you laugh. When you said it, it was funny. Um, No, but uh, it's very much like a clear inspiration for the weapon that Gogo carries in Kill Bill. Uh, They're almost maneuvered for... Like, the exact same way, other than the fact that the uh, flying guillotine uh, weapon, you know, lops off a head. Uh, And uh, on his revenge mission, as he's hunting down the one-armed boxer who has his own martial arts school. uh, Right, and we should should say, uh, sorry, I keep derailing trying to explain the plot, but uh, he is is seeking revenge because in the previous film, the one-armed boxer uh, killed his two apprentices who themselves were villainous dudes. They were some bad dudes. Mm-hmm. The one-armed boxer is a noble champion of heroic martial arts with a heart full of justice. Is he, though? Is he, though? Uh, so he killed both of the Master of the Flying Guillotine's apprentices, and uh, now the guillotine master is seeking revenge. Yeah, and... Uh... This all boils down into a world tournament that everyone is joining in on. A lot of people are angry at the one-armed boxer for many reasons, like he won't fight him. Uh, yeah, a lot of people want to challenge the one-armed boxer because he's this legendary badass yep. and they want to prove that they're the best. And he's very like, yeah, not really feeling it, which pisses them off. But he also 
doesn't necessarily do anything that impressive throughout the film. He's also not that honorable, because at one point in the world tournament, a character is introduced, and each one has, like, their own specific moniker that goes with their fighting styles. And there's a character who is... His moniker is essentially, I don't use knives. Yeah, his, his name is Win Without a Knife Yakuma. And so Win Without a Knife Yakuma is introduced, and Which he doesn't a have a knife. deeply suspicious title. And it's a really suspicious title, but it promises a lot. And so he's versus a guy with a knife. And uh, he's doing a pretty good job of holding his own, and then it turns out, surprise, he had a knife. Yep. That's Win his, Without a his, Knife. His fighting style is based entirely around telling people he does not have a knife. And then stabbing them, which is an incredible martial art. It's the ancient art of lying to your fucking face. <laughs> Just being like, I don't have a knife. And then the other person's like, I trust you, even though we're fighting to the death, <laughs> to not have a knife because you told me to. I mean, because you told me you didn't. Imagine, imagine passing this martial art on. Imagine like opening a school where you train students in this discipline. Like, this this dude is your sensei, and he's like, step one in any fight, introduce yourself by saying these words. I don't have a knife, I'm going to win without it. I will win without using a knife, and I promise that no matter what happens, I will not stab you. And then stabbing them. And then you stab them. Which is, like, the shittiest move, and the one-armed boxer is immediately like, oh, he's really smart, I respect that. And it's like, yeah, do you? You're no, the I, guy. You're so ready because he's he's the hero of the film. He's the protagonist. You're so ready when it cuts to him in that moment to say, like, that was despicable. I would never teach my students in this way. But he's like, he's like oh, nice. That's a good move. I like his style. Like, I'm not now convinced that the one-armed boxer doesn't have a second arm. He has a second arm. Mm-hmm. He has a second arm, and there's a knife in it. <laughs> there's a knife in that hand. Um, but the entire sequence of the tournament was really funny, especially when two characters accidentally kill each other, and there's the whole, like, take both these winners away thing. It, it's, it's, it knows how funny it is. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a, a self-awareness to it that uh, I, I think can be overlooked, because a lot of films... Uh, made in this genre and made in this, uh, like, you know, in this decade had a certain sort of, like, intrinsic cheesiness Mm -hmm. to it. You know, they're just, like, kind of inherently uh, corny or, like, just uh, outrageous in various ways. And there's definitely that kind of, like, mystery science theater element of, like, laughing along with your friends and being like, oh, my God, this is crazy. It's funny. Uh, And I I think, like, it's really easy to attribute a lot of – master of the flying guillotine to like like to put it under that same category uh without realizing that it's clearly in on the joke that there are like deliberate points of humor in this film like uh when when the one-armed boxer is training his students on like the art of jumping and like making yourself weightless (laughs) and then they're at the tournament later and a dude enters the tournament by jumping over the arena walls, which are, like, 20 feet high. He just, like, comes flying over the fucking wall in this really, like, absurd display of bravado. But, you know, dude legitimately just flies. Everyone's very impressed. And the one-armed box is just like, oh, it's nice jumping. And then he's got good jumps. <laughs> and just, like, it's just this very, like, understated, like, oh, man, good jump. And I, whole thing. I don't know why that moment has stayed with me for years. The, uh... The first translation of it that I saw, the uh, the subtitle was "Excellent Jumping," 
And I just, I say that all the time. Anytime our cat jumps onto another surface, I'm like... Excellent jumping. Excellent jumping. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and uh, it's, it's around this time that the uh, master of the flying guillotine, after killing two different one-armed men in his hunt for the one-armed man, because this region has a lot of one-armed guys running around, uh, finally finds the correct one-armed man... Uh, next to the incorrect one-armed man, who yeah, he also like, kills. Two of them, two of them, right in the same place. Yeah. Right in the same place, and the fighters who were angry at the one-armed man for not taking a fight with them join the master of the flying guillotine and become this video game like boss battle where he has to work his way through these very specific fighters to get to this master. And he does the, uh, the ordering a coffin thing. And this is where I learned that the one armed man is a piece of shit. <laughs> like he's just a real piece of shit. <laughs> a real dirtbag. Because any other movie was like, I'm going to fight you with my fists, and uh, it, it's very one piece in its understanding of, like, I'm going to fight with honor or whatever. And he knows what it takes to win, because he cooks one of his opponents alive. Yeah, which, that's uh, irrevocably, like, the point at which I stop rooting for the one-armed boxer, and it happened the first time that I saw the film, and I've, like, never change my stance on that you know how, like sometimes you watch something when you're a kid yeah. and you're like man fuck that guy and then you grow up and you watch again and you're like actually i understand his perspective yeah. now that i'm an adult like I, you know i and i think that happens to me a lot with action movies in terms of like rooting for or against the hero of the film that like when i was like more of a try-hard teenager you know i was like that dork cares about doing the right thing instead of kung fu and then you know as an adult i'm like no i relate more to the protagonist of the film uh that is not the case with master of the flying guillotine i'm kind of always rooting for guillotine even now and i i think like the one-armed boxer never necessarily does anything that makes him seem especially heroic like when people are dying he doesn't like rush in to save them he's just kind of like oh damn Boy, he pulled his head clean off. That's rough. Sorry, like, man. One of his students gets killed, and he's just kind of like, oh, damn. Mm, you, guys, you guys should probably leave. I don't know. This dude seems pretty serious. It, like He's never like putting himself in danger on anyone else's behalf. He's never... And and because he's... He's saving his own hide. Right. He's the one being targeted. He's the, the one being hunted. So, you know, he's never doing anything outwardly heroic. And even when other people are dying, he's not trying to save them. And then, yeah, the way he wins every fight, it's not like, oh, he's trained so much harder that even though, like, he has one arm, you'd think he would be at a disadvantage in this kung fu fight. But, like, oh, he's just so skilled. He has so much discipline. His technique is flawless. He trains so much harder. It's like, no, man, he sets weird traps and shit. Yeah. Like, there it, is no Gordon Liu training montage of, like, I'm going to get stronger to beat you. No. It's the, the, the Thai boxer is inarguably a better fighter. Like, one-on-one, -on -one, the Thai boxer would demolish him. Yeah. And the only way... Because he doesn't even try to fight him. He sees the Thai boxer fight... And knows that he will lose this fight. So he's like, alright, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna lure him to an abandoned shack on the outskirts of town. We're gonna put in a metal floor. We're gonna set a fire under the floor. Because I know that he fights barefoot. 
I will wear shoes with thick soles while his bare feet are cooking on the metal floor. If he tries to escape, I'm going to have a dozen men with spears outside of the window to jab him with spears until he gets back in the oven. And that's how I will win. I'm going to fight him in an oven and then cook him. And yeah. by this point, I'm just like, man, I hope the other arm goes. <laughs> right? Like, I genuinely like the Thai boxer. He comes out, he does his wide crew. He, like, he's an honorable dude who's just looking to, like, prove who the best fighter is, which is, like, that's their whole deal. They all are dedicated to martial arts. They're all, like, entering this yeah. tournament. He And he's the just like... The Thai boxer actually entered. The one-armed man yeah. didn't. No, the, like in any other movie, the Thai boxer would be the hero, honestly. He's like, yeah. I just want to prove I'm the best fighter. And instead he gets fucking cooked alive by a coward. Like, honest to God, I'm going to give a spoiler of what I didn't pick. I almost picked Freddy versus Jason because I was like, the one-armed man is not a hero. This no. is villain versus villain. No, it it really is like the film is a variety of like scumbags who all happen to be very good at martial arts. And I, I love Yeah, no, I, I kind of love just like a cast of dirtbags trying to kill each other, and that's a lot of what that movie is. It's Guy Ritchie does kung fu. <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. No, I uh Which is my shit. It's my shit. It's deeply my shit. Uh no, having said that, though, I've, I've uh, disparaged the character a lot, which I think is fair, but I do have to give uh, all possible praise in the world to the uh, the actor who plays him, uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, yes. who is a fucking legend and a hero. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the reason I was so um, excited to pick this film, aside from a couple of reasons, I mean, one, and maybe like foremost is that it rules like this movie just fucking shreds and i want everyone to watch it uh and two i think that it has enough different kind of genre elements that there's actually like a lot of directions you can go with it (laughs) that makes Um, it hard i know it makes it hard but it also (laughs) i i feel like there's a lot of stuff that you could you know argue uh in favor of pairing it with but uh the main uh reason why why i chose this and wanted you to watch it and hopefully uh someone listening will be inspired to seek the film out and watch it uh which by the way it's streaming on a few places uh pluto tv is the one that we found that has like the most reliable subtitles yeah voodoo and youtube have what elijah explained to me was a print in which the uh, english dubbing has it drops out because they're like missing several pieces yeah it was cobbled together from different reels and so one uh has the english dub uh the other has the original dub uh but it is not subtitled and so the audio just changes languages a few times because they kind of chopped it together um but yeah the one that's on pluto tv does uh appear to have the the hard-coded subtitles like the baked in ones which is good uh oh but yes uh the reason i wanted you to watch it and hopefully other people will watch it uh, and the reason i've been like so obsessed with this film my whole life was uh just this this kind of like personal arc that i had with it uh which was this film actually uh i think is great for this podcast uh given what our kind of like reason for doing this is and our like kind of mission statement i guess of just like sharing things that we love with people and trying to capture that like 
talking to the guy at the local video store kind of vibe mm-hmm. uh, because that was how I discovered it. Uh, when I was a kid, I was like uh, renting, I want to say I rented Iron Monkey, maybe. Uh, it was, I want to say it was Iron Monkey. It was either like a like a Jet Li film or a, a Donnie Yen film, but I, uh, I'm going to say Iron Monkey. It doesn't matter what film it was. I was renting a, a martial arts film. Chud. I was renting Chud. Uh, no, I owned Chud. Uh, oh, I okay. did. You Fucking owned Chud. owned Chud and Bud the Chud on VHS. Got it for my birthday. It was a big deal. Uh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was renting a Kung Fu movie and I uh, ended up talking to the dude behind the counter. And uh, it's funny because, you know, in, in retrospect, it was very much like a teenager working at a video store who was stoked about Kung Fu movies uh, which, you know, is something that I would eventually grow up to be. But at the time, as a kid, I was like, wow, this adult knows everything in the world. He's he, God. He's God. And he was just like, oh, if you're into movies like this, like, you should check out blah, 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 and, like, recommended something else. And so I was like, thanks. And the next time I came in, I, like, got that recommendation. And that movie was tight. And so I kept, like, coming back and asking him for, like, kung fu movie recommendations and he recommended Master of the Flying Guillotine, uh, which he was like, yeah, we don't have, but I know this this other one does because, like, I've rented it from their location. So he had him, like, you know, ship it to this location. Uh, so I brought it home on this recommendation. Didn't really know anything about it except that it had a cool title and this dude that I now trusted had been recommending it. Uh, and me and my mom watched it together. And that, like, first viewing is still one of my favorite movie watching experiences just in my life because uh, going into it totally blind, the entire uh, section of the film kind of in the second act that is the, the fighting tournament. It's, it's such a fun structure because it does introduce all these characters and it's because the protagonist of the film is not fighting in the tournament as a viewer you don't have a horse in the race the hero and villain are both not competitors in this tournament so everyone that gets introduced is equally likely to win or lose and because of that like it has the effect of like actually watching a fighting tournament where you're, you're like i don't know any of these characters any of them could you know win this fight and so my mom and I watching it together for the first time before each fight, we're instantly like picking who we're like betting on, you know, and we're like rooting for our competitors and, you know, like, like, no, no, he's got to win. Come on, get up. And it made like each of the fights so exciting because we're, you know, placing bets and like occasionally competing against each other. We're like, no, no, like my guys, my guys got this, uh, which was just, uh, yeah, really memorable experience for me. And also the movie is just fucking rad he's ripping heads off with a flying guillotine uh so yeah had that amazing experience years later uh stumble into this venue where i see the band play the song live and then uh, a few years after that where it's you know continually been one of my favorite films of all time uh i got to go to a screening of a 35 millimeter print of it with jimmy wang Yu in person presenting it for like an anniversary and uh he proceeded to give the greatest Q&A I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, far and away, an untouchable fucking Q&A. Uh, he was in his 70s at that point, and somebody asked about his health, and he was like, 
Uh, I'm still strong. I keep in shape. I'm athletic. You want to see me run? And so we're like, what? And he's like, watch. I got up and just started like sprinting in the theater just to show that he was still fast and could move. At one point, someone asked him if, uh, because he has a history of like getting into fist fights, like in real life outside of movies. No, I'm just standing up straighter. Sorry. Because I like Um, the story. No, he, uh, so the actor, like, Jimmy Wang Yu has a long history of getting into fights that goes back to, like, before he was an actor. He, like, I think played water polo or something. He was, like, Mm -hmm. on some sports team and got into too many fights and got kicked off the team. And somebody, uh, you know, some friend of a friend was like, hey, man, like, you've got a cool look and I know you're, like, kind of rowdy. We're we're doing action movies. You should come do one of those. And, you know, became this star. Uh, But he just, like frequently in the papers in Taiwan for like, you know, getting arrested, spending a night in jail, uh, you know, and then getting out. But it was like, he was in the tabloids a lot for like getting into scraps. And so someone in the crowd who knew that about him was like, Hey, I know that, you know, you, you're this legendary martial artist and, and fighter, but I know you also have fought a lot in your real life. Have you ever lost a fight? Like, you know, has Jimmy Wang, you the legendary one-armed boxer ever lost a fight? Keep in mind, this man is in his 70s, and he's not like, oh, yeah, you know, of course, I've, like, lost some, or, like, oh, when I was younger, or, like, when I was competing, or something. He says, a couple of years ago. What? <laughs> Which, he's, like, 73, so I was like, yeah, a few years ago, when I was 70, he's like, I lost a fight. I uh, got into a fight at a bar because I wanted to impress this girl, <laughs> and I wanted to impress her, so I beat this dude up. He's like, yeah, I got into a fight with a younger guy. I won that fight. But then the cops got called, and I had been drinking, and I wanted the girl to think I was cool, so I fought the cops. He's like, you know, I, I beat the first cop, the second cop called for backup, there were a few of them, and he's, he's, you know, English is not his first language, but he says, they used electricity to stop me. <laughs> Which, like, they, I assume means, like, stun guns, but it was, or, like, tasers, but the, the way he said it, like, left room for it to have been, like, a downed power line, like he's fucking King Kong, and they just had to use electricity to stop him. Honestly, would not be shocked if, like, that aspect of him, the fact that he just seems to be an inhuman force of nature, was applied to the actual, like, guillotine character himself. <laughs> that, that they were, like, we're basing, like, he plays the one-armed boxer, but they're basing the villain on him because he's the most terrifying man they've ever met. Because, like, this is, again, also different from a lot of martial arts movies I've seen, which I know they can, like, get weirder, but this is a man whose head can turn all the way around like the exorcist, and that's, like, literal. This isn't me being cute. Yeah. Like, this is what the character does. No. Um, he stabbed several times, and he keeps fighting yeah he gets like hatchets stuck in his body and he's just like i'm fine (laughs) he gets a hatchet pushed through his body and he no longer has his guillotine and he's still swinging yeah so like that might be based on the real life (laughs) story of jimmy wang Yu. Uh, and i uh, sorry just to just to wrap this up uh because it is like just a very like important film to me uh i i went to this q a and i was so like overwhelmed and in awe of this person who already had been, you know, uh, the star of one of my favorite films of all time that I grew up watching that like obsessively and that watching for the first time with my mother is like, you know, one of my happiest childhood memories. And so it's, it's already just this, this hero. And then he 
gives this phenomenal Q and A that just reaffirms everything I've ever believed about him. That I'm just like, this man is magic. He's ju- he's just magic. And afterwards, he's like signing autographs and stuff. And I'm waiting in line, and you know, I can see it's a long line. He's you know, he's an older felon. He's got places to be, and he's got his little like security team with him and stuff. And I don't. I can't just go up there and gush the way that I want to. And I see that everyone's moving, being shuffled through pretty quickly, like autograph next, autograph next. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, I can't ask for a photo. I don't think he's doing photos, but like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like an autograph is like kind of nothing to me, but I just like, I want something to remember this. And uh, for some reason I, I just panicked and was trying to think of like, what's the best thing that you do with the, and I get up there and I just go, Sir, I am also a martial artist and a fighter, and it would be an honor to take a punch from the legendary one-armed boxer. And he looks at me and he's like, yeah? And his face, like, lights up. Like, he is fucking stoked. He's in his 70s and he is stoked to punch a stranger. And he looks at his little, like, security guy and one of the organizers of the event and he's like, can I punch this guy? And they're like, that's up to you, man. Like, clearly no one is going to tell him no. And he's, I think, like, waiting to see if there's some kind of liability on the venue. But he's like, can I punch him? And they're like, "Uh." And he stands up and throws a jab into my chest that is still, like one of the fastest punches I've ever seen, you know? And it was like, like he, he pulled it. He didn't like follow through and like hit me really hard, but he just throws this like lightning fast jab into my chest and is just grinning like a fool. Cause he got to punch somebody. And I was just like, ah! <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's still one of my favorite memories and uh, started a longstanding tradition of me asking uh, strangers to punch me. <laughs> Yeah, you've received many impressive punches since then. Yeah. We uh, can definitely uh, one day do a uh, a movie marathon of just movies starring everyone that's ever punched Elijah. Yeah, uh, it's fun. Yeah. That, that'd actually be a pretty sick marathon. Yeah, no, there's some good ones in there. Got like Dolph. Yeah, got Dolph. Got uh, Tak Sakaguchi, uh, Yayan from The Raid. Uh, got some good Zoe. punches. Zoe Bell. Zoe uh, Bell. She she didn't actually do the punch though. She was like, "I'll I'll take a picture where I'm pretending to punch you." She's like, "I just I can't just punch somebody." She didn't feel good about it. She's 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 thinking about liability. Yeah, she's smart. she was she was covering her ass. She's smart. Yeah, everyone else just went for it. The Dolph, uh, <laughs> fucking Sunny, Sunny hit me hard. He was great. He was just a really, like he was also a dude who just used to fight professionally. So he's like, "You just want me to punch you?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he just fucking went for it. <laughs> and afterwards, he was like, "I'm sorry." And I was like, "No, you're good. You were right to do it." You put me in place. Um, no, but like trying to pick something to pair with this movie was an incredibly dis- difficult task that you gave me. Um, because so much of the tone and the music and the way it's filmed made me think in what horror direction do I want to go? Maybe Giallo. Maybe I might look at a little little Fulci. Maybe a little Argento. Um, maybe something far less uh, that. Maybe something like your torsos where there's like a weird extended fight scene and a very specific weapon because the killer in torso kills with a uh, red and black scarf and... Uh, Wait, the, does he kill with the scarf? I thought he just he had He strangles a with the scarf. He also has one, but at one point he, like, strangles with oh, it. Oh, I didn't even remember um, that. In addition to, like, hacking people up into pieces with, like, a very specific weapon. So I was thinking maybe torso. Um, and then at one point I was going to go more obvious 
and like even Sleepy Hollow, which I feel like is more fantasy than horror anyway, um, with the uh, the uh, Headhunter, which is a like a medieval horror movie. Yeah, yeah. But eventually, it just became more obvious and more clarifying for me because I realized there were a couple elements I needed to focus on. It is a sequel. The soundtrack slaps. And the main killer that hunts someone specific down has an almost mythical, inhuman quality to them, and they are very slow-moving and stoic. So, for your second feature presentation... I went with Halloween 2, bitches. It was right there yeah. in front of me. Uh, Guillotine is such a Michael Myers prototype, but more so the second movie than the first because of the mythical aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that because the, the first Halloween, for most of it, you, you spend most of the film assuming that Michael Myers is just a guy. Just a dude. Just a guy with a knife. Uh, but then, yeah, Halloween 2. You start that movie, he's already been shot six times. Yeah. Master of the Flying Guillotine, motherfucker gets hatchets stuck in his chest, and he's like, I'm fine, and then he spins his head around like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. Yeah, and uh, there's something about him and the way he is filmed, how much bigger he is, how yeah, much he feels a he's door frame. lumbering presence. Uh, so much about the way he looks for his victims is very Michael Myers. It's very Myers. He's so much this kind of pursuit predator that never is is so confident in his abilities to eventually kill you that he never feels a sense of urgency he's never running he's never like i have to catch you now he's he's like no i'm gonna fucking get you like yeah he he has a mastery of what he does which is kill people uh there's a scene in flying guillotine uh where uh, the one-armed boxer is like running from him through this kind of like dark like tunnel uh it's when he's kind of like luring him into his traps and yeah the way that scene is shot feels so much like a slasher movie because yes. it's just that dreadful kind of pursuit of this really lumbering force of nature the supernatural killer it almost feels like that dean cundy kind of framing where they really know how to like put the terrifying thing into perspective to like fill up the frame and make the victim feel very small yeah and yeah very um helpless and also both movies their killers had a sick synth theme that would yeah. uh, appear every time they came on screen you know there's the classic halloween one that i'm not gonna put on here because it's probably gonna like immediately get a podcast removed from a few places <laughs> um and there's one specifically for guillotine uh halloween 2 it also being a sequel in its series some more commonalities that i didn't even realize as we were watching uh both feature a character being burned alive yeah uh, and halloween 2 has a couple of people that are burned to death uh including the teenager that the police just (laughs) run over unceremoniously and they're like bummer so let me tell you how we got there so we can talk about halloween 2 for a little bit um like a movie that i truly adore and is very much just like a continuation of like the second like it's it's the same day it's all in the same day but the tone is a little different because it's no longer like it's pretty much the same team from before, except this time it's not directed by Carpenter. Um, so there are a lot of things that happen that you have some questions about. Um, and Elijah presented one to me that I've seen this movie like 11 times. And this was never anything that ever like 
came into my brain of like I should investigate this more. I just accepted it as a as a truth. Um, it starts right when Michael Myers has been shot like six times, and he's uh, he falls out of the window and he disappears, and Loomis comes in hot comes in hotter than any character in the history of film has ever come in, where he runs up to a neighbor covered in blood with a gun in his hand, and his neighbor doesn't believe him that something is wrong, and he screams, you don't know what death is, and then we cut to credits. <laughs> and then we immediately see Loomis again yelling, I shot him six times! And a cop just lets him wave a gun around, because, uh, you know, he's wearing a trench coat, so maybe he's supposed to, uh, and is insisting that this, like, deranged killer is on the loose and that he needs to take it seriously. And <clears throat> as Lori's, like, transported to the hospital and, you know, Michael Myers is looking for her and uh, making his way through more teenagers that he's killing on the way there, Loomis thinks he sees Michael Myers um, and shoots at him. And then another cop comes speeding so fast down this residential neighborhood in which children are trick-or-treating. <laughs> so he could have hit, like, any, like, little pirate or Tinkerbell mm -hmm. and smashes into this alleged Michael Myers into another car so hard and so fast he bursts into flames. <laughs> I can't which, even sentence. Which is incredible because I don't know what ignited the fire. Like, I don't know if one of the cars bursts into flames for some reason. It really does kind of read like he just hit him so fucking hard that the kid exploded. <laughs> he was going so fast that it just hit this terminal velocity where just the air friction ignited his body. <laughs> it's like, he just fucking spontaneously combusted it's like, the chief jumpsuit with the speed of the car. It's like someone, like, re-entering Earth's atmosphere from orbit. That's how fast <laughs> this car was going. That's how hard he ran over this teenage trick-or-treater who looked like Michael Myers. Who's killed on impact and just burns to a crisp past the point of being able to address dental records. Which means, like, at least three cops looked at him and they were like, bummer. Waited for the fire to go out. Yeah, they let it, put it burn out. itself out. They're like, eventually he will be out of fat and tallow to render for fuel. <laughs> and, and like... <laughs> this fire will extinguish itself. Not a single person shows remorse. If anything, they're annoyed that it's not Michael Myers. Yeah. Nobody at any point is like, oh shit, we killed another kid. His parents are never contacted. We only know his name because his friends are like, a 17-year-old disappeared tonight. And it matches the description. And there are two things we don't know. Um, why the fuck was he dressed like Michael Myers? Because that shouldn't even have been a costume at that point. Like, right? In this universe, like, Michael Myers just got it's out. Not a thing. He just started killing people earlier that night. It's not like... You know, someone dressing up like uh, fucking Charles Manson yeah. for Halloween or something. Like, he literally has only been operating as Michael Myers in that costume for, like, a few hours. He and doesn't have a fan yet. Yeah. No, there's no way. There's no Michael Myers early adopters in this universe yet. Yet, for some reason, he is dressed like Michael Myers. We were given no fucking explanation other than he has, like, kind of a mask that looks similar and is wearing a jumpsuit and is walking kind of stiff, which we now know was just a drunk, teen drunk teenager in a stupid mask. Um, but also, uh, we don't 
nothing in the movie tells you anything of his fate or who he is, and no one cares. And Elijah is like, how does nobody care that they just murdered a 17-year-old in cold blood? And then you went to look to see if there's any reason why he was dressed like Michael Myers, and what did you find? Yeah, I, I have to uh, clarify that I... Oh, what do you... Oh, no, I'm just pulling up what you texted me. Uh, no, I... Uh, so the Halloween franchise is one that has so many entries and so much extended mythology and lore and i am very much uh, i am not versed in that i've seen every movie in the franchise at least once but most of them i've only watched once uh i love the first three movies so much Same. and i actually rewatch halloween three every year because it's a very fun like uh halloween season it's rewatch. an excellent season rewatch yeah it's always uh, on my list yeah i feel like one and three i actually i've seen the most and then uh two which i hadn't seen for a while until uh rewatching it for this the others i watched you know once each and never cared to revisit yeah. so i know there's all of this extent there's a cult you know they get more into the supernatural aspects and so I know they do all these like kind of deep dives in mythology. So I'm sure there are a ton of Halloween fans that can be like, oh, here's why that information. But when I Googled why was that kid dressed like Michael Myers in Halloween 2, because why? why? What possible explanation no, is there for the no squaring plot hole? Uh, there's a, a Halloween wiki page uh, that does not tell you why Ben was dressed like Michael Myers. Uh, Bud does tell you literally every other thing you could possibly want to know about this character, Ben, including, for some reason, his social security number. <laughs> this Should we read it on air so someone can steal this fictional character's social security number? Yes, Ben's social security number was 135-771386, according to the Halloween series wiki. And I can't imagine how a series in which... This 17-year-old is murdered by police, and it's never addressed. They don't feel bad. No one gets in trouble. They let his corpse burn itself out. And not only is that its own set of plot holes, but there's never any explanation given as to why he was dressed like the antagonist of the films. How the series could not address any of that, yet simultaneously go into such depth on the character that fans know his social security number. I I will never know, and I will die not knowing. <laughs> it's, there's, because, you know me. It's almost like, I don't know, and I refuse to learn. If if someone tries to tell me, I'm going to walk away. If you try and tell me, I'm going to punch you in the neck, because I want to live in the fantasy of people thinking that it was irrelevant that for some reason this child was dressed exactly like Michael Myers. And, uh... Similarly to the guillotine character, many different bodies must be slain on the way to his final victim. Uh, yeah, I think the two movies probably have a similar body count, honestly. They have a similar body count, because uh, I know in, <laughs> ironically, the only person Michael Myers doesn't kill in Halloween 2 <laughs> is our teenage boy who got hit by a car so hard he exploded uh that's the only person that isn't killed by michael myers in that movie so they like have a pretty uh, similar bo body count and the person who gets burned to death in uh master of the flying guillotine is also not killed by uh the the evil killer guy that's yeah. a fun parallel two people being burned to death by the hero and not the villain exactly uh and uh like 
it's also similar in that it's very centralized in its locations for most of the movie. Um, cause most of the time you're like kind of hopping around Haddonfield, but you're like mostly in the hospital and guillotine quite a bit of it takes place in the actual tournament, but you know, they, yeah, they yeah. hop around a little bit more. Um, and there's also very specific and clever kills in both. Uh, cause in Halloween you mostly have Mike, Michael Hack and Slashing, and it's more about, like, the chase than it right, is. Right, right. Because at this point, and, you know, with Rick Rosenthal at the helm, it's more about, like, getting those interesting kills in. It's getting yeah. that, like, summer audience. Um, it's, it's like, signature slasher kills that are popular at this point. And a lot of the kills in Guillotine feel like slasher kills. They do, right? They're very showy. They're very comical. Um, they're very creative. It's not so much just like everybody gets their throat slit. And in Halloween 2, you're starting to see like a lot of these like clever kills. You're seeing people boiled, boiled alive. You're seeing people... Um, there's the uh, nurse who basically has just like a tube, uh, just a blood draw tube inserted, but it doesn't go in anything, so she just drains out. Yeah. Um, it, it has a lot of those very like clever kills that become synonymous with the cheesy popcorn slasher movies that we really love, and Guillotine has a lot of that. And again, not in the first Halloween movie, which is another reason why I picked the second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Halloween 2, as it as it ends, is he basically goes to the hospital, tries to find Laurie, finds Laurie, he shot a million times, uh, Loomis blows himself up to burn Michael Myers to death, and uh, Laurie is transferred to another hospital. Uh, and we all know how the series ends. It doesn't. Also, uh, fun fun parallel in the uh, like final confrontation, uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine, one-armed boxer, you know, lures him into the coffin shop where he has all these traps... Uh, but part of his, uh, you know, dishonorable, I would say, uh, way of like overcoming the the blind master of the flying guillotine, uh, identifying that he is blind and like relies on his sense of hearing, he kind of like hides himself and like makes noise around the coffin shop. He's like throwing pebbles, and the guillotine master is, yeah, like hearing it and obviously cannot see, but like keeps slashing and like lashing out with the guillotine in different directions and like hitting nothing yeah. while the one armed boxer hides and makes sound, which is exactly what Loomis and Lori do at the end of Halloween two. When they shoot him in the eye. Yeah. Lori shoots his eyes out. He's yeah, he's blind and just like blindly slashing at the sounds that they make and they keep making sound back and forth to kind of lure him in different directions. But it's yeah, like a nearly identical scene of this yeah, like huge imposing slasher just swinging a blade you know based on sounds around him desperately uh, trying to get their killing yeah as they hide and set traps to eventually stop this much more powerful force so yeah. i'm calling this one the slasher sequel double feature yeah it was it was very very well picked and as as you were watching uh flying guillotine you kept kind of, yeah, like making the notes and saying, like, oh, maybe Headhunter, and like, oh, maybe a Jalo, because this feels kind of Jalo. And part of the reason that I didn't give any feedback, <laughs> I do think it's fun to have it be like totally your pick, because then you have to like sell it to me or like yeah. justify it. But part of the reason is because I wanted to wait to see if you would make a slasher co connection, because that's <laughs> like, that was my first thought. I honestly was like, I would pair it with Halloween. Like, that would have been my pick. And I didn't even think about the second one. You actually like, did one better by picking the one that is 
more spectacle, a little like faster paced, has a higher body count, and has an ending in which the unstoppable killer is blind and slashing out at sound. So like <laughs> you nailed it. It's it's such a good double feature, honestly. Oh my god, thank you. I was gonna ask if you thought it worked. Yeah, no, I would I would program this uh at theaters near you. Coming soon to theaters near you. <laughs> We're proud to announce the <laughs> kicking and screaming double feature. In which our cat is the ticket taker, and we're like, hey, can we sit down? And she goes, meow, and then we're like, tight. Yeah. <laughs> no. Everyone, you're invited to our house to watch these movies. This is a theater near you. You can always come to our house post-pandemic. Um, but, yeah, I'm actually really happy that our first two double features are pretty tight and, and pretty, like, uh, justifiable in their pairings, because I feel like we are looking down the pipeline of it getting harder and harder. Oh, yeah. It gets way looser from here. Because <laughs> eventually people are going to throw some weird fucking curveballs in either direction. And we're going to have to really try to find a good pairing. Because literally earlier today I was like, what's one that doesn't feel like it'd be that hard? But I'm like, oh, shit, it's actually kind of difficult. And I was like, not even that, like, not even as it's not it's a horror movie and it's a well-known one. And it's not like it's a complicated horror movie, but it would throw us for a loop. Uh, the Sixth Sense would fuck me up if I had to pick a oh, Kung Fu a martial movie arts movie for The Sixth Sense. Yeah, there are like certain horror movies that once we get to, are going to make things difficult. And there are certain martial arts movies that are like, how the fuck are we going to pair this with horror? Yeah. So, like, so glad that our first two episodes had some really great pairings because yeah, we were looking no, down the are... pipeline of bizarre. Well, and I, I think. Uh, something I'm, I'm realizing, uh, because we, we've gone through a few sort of like theoretical pairings and we actually, uh, I don't think can spoil it yet, but we have a, a guest booked who gave us one of those kind of oddball picks oh my God. and I immediately got this, uh, cause they, they chose a horror film. So it was kind of like the, the onus was more like on me to pick yeah. the martial arts match. And I immediately got this sense of like kind of, uh, dread of like, Oh man, I don't know if I have anything that I can make as strong of a case for, but then watching the films to be like, okay, here's what the double feature is. It was still just a wicked double feature. It's still just very fun, like these two films back to back. And it's still something that I'm like, you know, if I went to a drive-in and watched both of these movies, I would still have a great time. Yeah. And so I think even if sometimes the connection is a little disparate, like the goal being to find like two movies that you might not have heard of, might not have seen, and like even if you've heard of both of them seen both of them probably haven't thought of watching them both together in sequence like that uh making that a fun experience for anyone who's like so inclined to watch those movies just putting a little pair together that's like yeah just a good double feature just a good little bite just a good little bite now speaking of pairs and good, good little, little bites <laughs> good little bites this episode is brought to you by elijah taylor's good little bites <laughs> Coming soon to a theater near you. Good little bites are the exact thing you want to eat in a movie. They're yeah. perfect. They hit every flavor flavor po- profile that you could possibly want. Yeah. And they don't make a crunchy noise and they won't distract the movies. And they're just good little bites. As opposed to like so many movie theater snacks that I'm just like, why are you selling this that I have yeah. to sit next to and listen to this person consume now? Honestly, I mean, hot take, controversial opinion. Popcorn shouldn't be sold at movie theaters. Popcorn is a fucking disgrace. <laughs> It's a bad snack. It's not worth the effort that it takes to eat. It makes a fucking mess. It's loud. It's terrible. 
Everyone's always rustling and crunching. Yeah. It's not what I want in a movie theater. Gummy bears? Perfect. Gummy bears are fun. Giant icy that you give yourself a uh, heartburn. Heartburn. Brain freeze. Brain freeze. That's a... It's Brain a, burn. That, that's what I currently have. Because <laughs> it's three in the morning and my brain's on fire. Yeah. Brain burn. I got the brain burns. Uh, I like a, like a soft movie theater treat. Um, you know what? I'm going to segue this into the treat question instead of my other question because we'll get to that in a second. Uh, what two snacks... Should should they pair for this double feature? Now, um, I know for Halloween too, we're on Halloween. Okay. Similar to the guest episode where it's like, yeah. all right, I need to go for like a trick. You or can't treat just based. do candy corn for every horror movie. Why not? You can't just pick candy corn for every. You snack. saw it in my eyes. <laughs> I'm just like, listen, it's Halloween. It's spooky. Candy corn. You can't do it. Okay, it's Halloween. There's a trick or treat element. Hmm. It's. It's a shape. It's a shape. <laughs> like Dick Warlock in Halloween 2, it is the shape. It's a shape. It's kind of... Uh, I have almost no reason to select this, but it's just because I really like it. Okay. A caramel apple pop. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it's not that appropriate of a snack though. No, for what it's it good cuz it's a very it's a very fall kind of season like a very Halloween type treat. Like, what is Michael Myers? A circus peanut? Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> no, a circus I, peanut? <laughs> honestly, I I like the caramel apple pop. That's a good that's a good Halloween pick. Uh I have maybe nothing for flying guillotine. I was trying to think of a snack in which you bite off the head. I guess like a gummy bear. Animal or like crackers. Animal crackers, yeah. Animal crackers are good because you bite the little heads off. Because you bite the little heads and off. And there's a variety of them in different shapes and styles, much like the fighters in the tournament. The yeah. eclectic cast of characters, each with their own, you know, unique thing that they're bringing to the table. All right, so that's the <laughs> snack double feature. It's animal crackers and caramel apple pops. <laughs> Which honestly sound terrible together. They sound awful together. That is a texture and flavor clash that I don't yeah. want. Oh, that's rough. We nailed the movie double feature. We 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 can do better on the snack. On the snacks, we were like at the starting line and we aimed the starter pistol into our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think starter pistols can't kill you, but it still probably sucks if it goes off in your mouth. It's we'll like find it's, out. it's not a great snack. Uh, also, I, d- I do feel compelled to uh, add a little bit of background here that I like uh, have worked at movie theaters and also at movie theaters during film festivals uh, when it was like crazy times and many, many customers and uh, basically have had times in my life on multiple occasions for lengthy periods of time where my full-time job was just making popcorn at a movie theater. So, Oh, same, actually. All right, yeah. So when I when I say, like, you know, popcorn is a disgrace and I hate it, I feel like I need to, like, contextualize part of where these feelings are coming from. Like, the year of my life that I just spent soaked in butter and just smelling like popcorn. So, I you know, there's a little bitterness there. So many popcorn bags, like, trash bags filled with, like, popcorn and jalapenos and nacho shit explode on me. Because mm. I was, like, too short to get the bags into the dumpsters when I was a movie theater usher. So I would, like, try and stuff the overfilled bags overhead and just try and, like, push it as fast as I could into the can. 
And instead, what would happen is the bag would split on my fingers. Oh, no. And then just open up everything that had been on the movie theater floor onto me. And then that's how you guarantee that no one sits next to you on the bus. Because no one sat next to me on the bus when I worked at AMC. God, I feel like that's also how you get, like, tetanus and, like... I think I have a r- rare Syphilis. popcorn disease. Yeah, you've got some kind of popcorn disease. I did um, once get a letter in a class action lawsuit about popcorn lung, but that's for another day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Should you uh, pick your film for next week? I am, but I have a really important question about both these two movies. Okay. Who would win in a fight? Michael Myers or Guillotine? Oh, Guillotine. Easy. Myers isn't fast enough. He no. couldn't even get in that elevator when Laurie was in there. Yeah, no, when he throws that fucking guillotine, it makes a gunshot sound, implying that it's breaking the sound barrier. That's the sound of a, son- a sonic boom when he throws it. And the way he effortlessly takes the heads of, like, multiple, you know, like, master martial artists. He jumps in and interrupts this tournament, and he's such a, like, thundering badass that all of, like, the world's best fighters are just kind of like, whatever, dude, you do what you want, I guess. Like, I, I, yeah, I can't see that fight going in any direction except, like, Michael Myers makes, oh, I was going to say he makes a single sound, and Guillotine immediately pops his head off. But also, Michael Myers is very good at not making any sound. He doesn't make a sound. He's so a very quiet dude. Oh, no. He's so quiet. Now we need to find a way if we can get some guy to, like, figure out Guillotine's fighting style. And you can both just, like, figure out what your fighter is like. And then just, just have like, it happen in real just life. Just choreograph it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Now, I've had a couple seconds to pick my movie for next week. And, um, oh, by the way, we mentioned where uh, Flying Guillotine was streaming. Uh, Halloween 2 is streaming on Cinemax. Um, I thought it was going to be on Shudder, but it's actually the only one that's not on Shudder of, like, most of the Halloween franchise. That's terrible. Um, But it is on Cinemax, and if you don't have it, you can get a free seven-day trial if you just want to watch Halloween 2 for whatever reason. That's that's what we did. That's exactly what we we did. We're canceling it. Yeah, we got a (laughs) seven-day free trial. We're not going to make you buy shit. We love you. Like, if it's something that's, like, for money... We'll, we'll never judge anybody for how they get their movies because times are tough right now. But, like, please try and pay if you can. Um, and, and also, if there's ever one that you can only obtain by paying for it, it's not, like, available on a streaming subscription or with a free trial. If, like, you have to rent it on some VOD platform and it's one we're really passionate about you watching, uh, shoot me a DM. I'll buy it for you. He really will. I want that's, you to watch these movies. That's how much Elijah's passion I'm going watch these movies. If there's, like, one on Amazon Prime and you, you really want to watch it and you don't you can't afford it, DM me or Elijah. We'll, this we'll stands for a certain amount of time. Yeah. It, once it becomes ridiculous, we're probably going to say no. But we'll, we'll hook you up. Yeah. Because... First, first 20 fans. I yeah, don't know. We'll, we'll figure tough. it out. If um, you want to borrow my DVD of Master of the Flying Guillotine, get at me. Again, he probably will. Uh, so... My movie. Originally, I was like, I'm going to pick a horror movie like I want to do and have been doing for the first two episodes. But then I realized I have a whole whole season of doing that with you. So I'm going to pick the Kung Fu movie. Um, you just I took was, a sip and legitimately almost did a sip take. I was, I was taking a drink of water and I was so genuinely surprised that I almost <laughs> did a spit take. Which... I probably would have committed to if it wasn't an audio medium. 
because I just, you'd have just spat on our bed. Yeah, I would have just I would have just spit water everywhere for for nothing. There's no payoff in a podcast if someone does a spit take. But I'm appreciative of you committing to it anyway. No, no, it was it was genuine. All right, so what's your what's your pick? My pick. Rumble in the Bronx. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right, so oh, so I have to pick a horror movie. So you have to pick. Oh a horror my god! Movie. Okay. That's fun. Yeah. All right. I got to pick a horror movie for Rumble in the Bronx. See, I'm already surprising you and we're not even married yet. Yeah. I got to. Oh, that's tough. All right. I want to think on it. I almost just immediately went with uh, like Jason Takes Manhattan, but no. I'm no, going no, no. to think on it. You got to really think about it. Yeah, because Rumble in the Bronx is, is fucking fantastic and obviously a classic. So I got to I gotta approach it with the reverence that it deserves. So Thank you. Take a little bit of time and program the perfect double feature. So, uh, where can you find us? You can find Kicking and Screaming Podcast at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Please, if you love us, throw us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We're a new podcast and it helps us get seen by people that uh, dig what we do. We are also on Spotify and many, many other platforms. Shoot me a DM, and if there are any ones that you haven't been able to find, I can definitely, uh, I'm learning RSS, get that shit on there. Uh, you can find me under at Ness Gritton on all forms of social media and the poorly updated VanessaGritton.com. I am also under Twitch.tv slash Ness Gritton, and I'm usually on there playing video games or just being a weirdo. Uh, and, uh, catch my show on El Rey, El Rey's Top 5. Uh, a certain kung fu dork that you love is going to be on future episodes, so that's exciting. And who, who is it? Who is it? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's the only person to dress up like a Street Fighter character for his episode. <laughs> I, was, I was not a specific Street Fighter character. I just dressed as though I myself were in a Street Fighter universe. I like Streets Which is how I normally dress. Which I'm proud of you for. Thank you. Uh, and if you want to find me, just issue a formal martial arts challenge, <laughs> and I will be there. <laughs> and what if someone wants to DM you on Twitter because they want to rent a movie? I'm I'm at Elijah underscore Pizza on Twitter. You can also send formal martial arts challenges there. You can also send formal martial arts challenges there um and as always we love you if you can find a way to buy gift cards or merch to your local indie theaters to support them in the times while they're closed down support your drive-ins and uh yeah have fun watching movies we love you bye Bye.